0: Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. Like my guest, Cass Payton.
1: You know, I do believe that it's Manchester that made me the way that I am, which is so driven.
0: Born and part-bred Greater Mancunian tech entrepreneur, Cass Payton is founder and chief executive of OnBuy, the British ethical alternative to Amazon, which is currently the fastest-growing marketplace in the world. Cass moved away to Dorset at the age of 17 to join the Royal Navy as an aircraft engineer before setting up his own web-building business as a teenager with the last 80 quid in his pocket. Since the age of 25, he's been consulting other businesses on how to run them. And that's when he came up with the idea for OnBuy, which he set up in 2016. We recorded this interview online just before Christmas. Cass was in Poole and I was in Manchester. And you'll hear that Cass is a bit off mic to begin with, but we do get it sorted. So please bear with us and you'll find out why he's decided to bring OnBuy to Manchester. And it is partly because we've got better Wi-Fi. Cass, welcome to We Built This City. Thank you
1: glad to
0: be here. Thanks so much and I know how busy things are for you right now and we're going to talk about that shortly. So We Built the City is a podcast about the values, relationships and the legacy that I believe Mancunians are passionate about and to me your story is a true example of Manc's spirit and it very much fits Tony Wilson's famous quote, we do things differently here. So OnBy is definitely doing things differently from other online marketplaces such as Amazon. Can you tell me what that difference is? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, we built our marketplace off the very principle um, pillars of, of of ethical, you know, transparent um, practice that we felt would really resonate with the marketplace world. See, marketplaces in general are usually retailers, so you know, whether it is Amazon or whether it's Tesco, um, these large retailers uh, trying to find opportunities to retail products and. Obviously, being a retailer means you have to buy stock, and then you take that stock to market. There's risks with taking on new products. You know, some products don't sell, and you have to manage your margin really carefully across different skews. So you make money on some items, and you don't on others. And you balance the loss of the these you know, the products that don't sell, and therefore your business grows uh, off the back of the ones you know the, the lines that have worked. On buy is different because we don't retail products, and that means that we. In essence, don't compete with our retailers. We're a, a channel for them to retail products, but we're not there to swipe the same customer and try and sell our own product. And we're certainly not there to learn what sells and to be able to manufacture those products ourselves or source those products ourselves. The idea is we will never retail products. Every pound that moves through OnPi is a pound for a small, medium business in the UK selling their goods online.
0: And- Amazon and other online marketplaces have been criticized heavily for a lot of things, including that. And it seems to be that the small print can change very quickly and that can have a massive impact on a seller. Was that the driving force for you setting up this in the first place? Or was that ethical approach something that you kind of developed as you, as you went along?
1: No, it was the founding principle. I, I spent my early career consulting businesses on how to grow online, how to shape their business to become more efficient. And a topic of conversation that would always come up would be hey, you need to sell on marketplaces. Marketplaces are a great way for you to reach new consumers and and trial the effectiveness of new products really quickly. And over the years that I was consulting uh, these businesses how to make the most of the marketplace, the the rhetoric changed. The the, the advice was shifting from hey, you've got to do this to eventually, you know, you should do this, but you should do this really carefully because you're essentially giving your learnings to other marketplaces who can use them for their own gain if you're not careful because ultimately they want to learn what sells.
0: Your growth is just incredible I think Onbuy is the fastest growing marketplace in the world right now is that right online? Yeah. It's absolutely incredible so give me some of the numbers because I researched them and I can't quite get my head around the uh, the percentages.
1: <laughs> yeah we've grown very very quickly I mean at the start of this year we, we opened up our first investment rounds to the venture capital world until then we were funded from angels and you know your typical startup sort of early seed venture backers and as we hit 2020 we really started to ramp up and as a business you know our gmv which is our total sales has flown from a run rate of around 20 million to a run rate of over 170 million our year on year growth has consistently been over 600% for three consecutive years we actually um, achieved 870% growth year over year. So as a business, you know, it's, it's a very interesting one.
0: In terms of that growth, is that changing all the time? So you're kind of beating your own target. Is that how it's felt? That
1: actually is quite funny. When we go back to um, our financial models, We, when we first started working with investors, we, we put together, you know, like everybody does, a financial deck and a, a financial model. And if we go back to the one that we used for our first round, we saw that we predicted 3.5 million pounds worth of sales in November 2020. Uh, and then when we came to June this year, we said, oh, we need to we need to reassess this. You know, we're constantly accelerating. Let's change it to 6.7 million in sales by November 2020. And then by the time we actually got to November 2020, we're had million pounds worth of sales. We have this philosophy internally, which investors seem to love, which is, you know, we set a financial goal, which is always big, but we always beat it. So we always actually end up going higher where you write a target down and we'll do everything possible to beat that number. So that's 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 the way that we work.
0: And is the whole team like that? Have you got that kind of culture in the in the office?
1: We've got a really exciting culture in the office that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this is the number we've said. What can we do to beat it? And then there's a big brainstorm session around how we can physically beat those numbers and i think as a business we're becoming much more data-led as well you know we, data science has become a big part of our business so we're, we're very much thinking okay well what can we what where can we invest what can we put our money into what works what doesn't how can we shape our growth and it, we're, com- we're becoming stronger every single month that goes past which is why you know the rate of growth is is really accelerating
0: and so what additionally do you put it down to? Because I think did you start off when you're in UK and Ireland and then have you, you've moved into, gone into a national market now. So is it a combination of that and the pandemic or what's been the growth?
1: No, I mean, we were actually solely UK until September. And September, October, November were the first three months. We trialed a really small test in Ireland, definitely not contributing towards those numbers that I just shared. Um, and at the moment, we, they are the only two places we currently sell in. The, the countries. Um we're, we're targeting 42 countries to launch into very, very quickly. We want to do that within the first 30 days. Um, huge countries in there with big, big plans, you know, United States, Canada, Australia, India, um, UAE, Russia. There's some really big opportunity globally for us because our model is so different. And that model resonates so well with retailers who want to sell online but don't want the risks of listing products for sale And then finding out one day that they're no longer the main seller of that product, that, you know, we are a risk free marketplace. And off the back of that, you know, there's a lot of support for OnBuy to be successful because our success is our retailer's success. So we just connect in the right way. We're not here to compete. We're here to support.
0: There's an element of double dipping, isn't there, some of those online marketplaces? And that's definitely not a Mancunian trait, I would say. So I can really relate to that. So what kind of challenges do you face in terms of expansion that quick?
1: Oh, I mean, expansion, the rate that we're going through, comes with unbelievable challenges. I mean, if we go back to March this year, we were a team of 14 people and we're currently a team of 64 people. And the majority of that hiring was done around June and July this year. Infrastructure, even the hiring process during a lockdown—you know, with um, you know remote interviews and 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 everything—it's been a really big challenge. And even our infrastructure in pool where um, where I am now is—you know—it's gone through extensions, conversions, new kitchens, new bathrooms, everything because there was no retail property to actually get our hands on in the middle of a pandemic. So we we just had to basically expand. In the truest sense of the word, and then moving forward, we, you know we've already taken steps to invest really aggressively into Manchester, my my hometown, obviously, which is why we're having this chat. um and we want to scale new offices, new people we've 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 announced a ten million pound investment into our Manchester operation. Um, hundred people we expect to bring through the door over the next two years,
0: and it's so great to hear that because obviously to have that level of investment in Greater Manchester, particularly at a time like this, it's music to the city's ears. And I think you will lead on the um, on the Manchester Evening News story because you know there are some very talented people with the right kind of skill set and the right kind of work ethic. I think um, in in Greater Manchester, so obviously you, your Mankey born and partly bred so you're born in Irmston before you went down to Dorset why particularly Manchester?
1: Yeah I mean I always planned to come back to Manchester Uh, I only moved down south during my early career in the in the armed forces but I uh, fell in love with the beauty of the south coast um, and always want to remain connected to that but Manchester's such a vibrant opportunistic city and um, you know I do believe that it's Manchester that made me the way that I am which is so driven and um won't you know don't let anything get in the, in my way of of what we want to achieve um, or the enthusiasm for the ideas that we have the positivity you know no matter what that that's a trait that really comes from um being brought up in manchester and uh, i want to only get back and i want to find people that really aspire to to work for a company that you know is as exciting as onby is I think hopefully there's a lot of people that really want to connect to that, whether it's marketing or development or data science. You know, I'm really, really keen to see from such a huge wealth of resource in Manchester, such talent driven place. And it's changed so much over the past few years. And I want to see, you know, how many people we can really bring in to, to make on by the UK marketplace that it is at the moment. And as we now venture to become a global marketplace player, which it, it's, it's really exciting and I think we'll be excited for Manchester. I want to see how many people we can get to really ride with us on this journey.
0: And have you already started reaching out in terms of recruitment? How are you going to tackle that?
1: You, you can't go into a newspaper or <laughs> a, a PR article without being inundated with recruiters. So, yeah, we <laughs> naturally naturally fallen into the uh, recruitment cycle earlier than expected. We're, we're going to make our first hires in March. For Manchester, um, we're just drawing down on you know exactly where our new office is going to be. We're in talks in a couple of uh, premises, and then once that's established, we'll start really uh, you know spearheading the recruitment process. Mm.
0: And are you looking at a wide range of ages and skill sets? What's the what's the approach there? How are you going to? kind of tapping yeah I mean right
1: you know we're open to the people with skill I mean I, I'm as a company you know our diversity policy is is about as fair as anyone can go you know we, we judge people on their skill and experience and we try to make on as inclusive as possible in terms of not just you know um ethnic diversity but also trying to make sure that on is a really easy place for work around flexi hours and things like that because we appreciate that you know the, the best way to get talent is to make sure that you are actually inclusive and approachable and we're trying to do the best things that we can do as a startup you know company to draw in that best talent our approach is simple you know we we're looking for the best people uh, and we will we will recruit the best people for the company and our and our and our growth so we're open to anyone and we're really keen to find people who have really interesting ideas or You know, people who are sat in there in their jobs right now thinking, hey, this is a really exciting company. If I was to join this company, this is what I would do. You know, I want to hear those stories. I want to talk to those people. We're an entrepreneurial business. It's not just me and a team of employees. It's very much a team of entrepreneurs that are keen to drive more out of everything that we do. You cannot create eight hundred and seventy percent growth if the the culture of the business isn't entrepreneurial. You know, we we the ethical values resonate and they work and we're extremely transparent and we value those ethics, but we're also extremely entrepreneurial. And you could be both, I think, where marketplaces have fallen short in the past is that, you know, the entrepreneurial side is to retail products and they use marketplace sellers. So it's almost like research tools. And our, our approach is extremely different. You know, we, we want to grow and create sales. That's the success of our business. And with all of our growth is growth for retailers. How can you not you know, value that? And we, we see such positive response because, you know, we're here to basically drive business for businesses.
0: And I think Manchester has always been known as a city full of independent retail as well. I'm in Manchester every single day, and it's difficult to see some of those independents who have just not got the platform there anymore. You know, they're not got the footfall in the city centre. So, are you are you looking to recruit people for your team from actually within Greater Manchester? Is that is that important to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the, the Manchester office is is the investment in that office is designed to recruit physically 100 people over two years um, within that Manchester you know space. There's other roles that we're flexible on remote working and um, we already do recruit from around the UK. But key in-office roles in Manchester will, will be around 100.
0: If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. Just in terms of investment in the business, so you talked about those financial, um, the, the, the funding rounds. Did you initially start it with your own money? Did you actually invest yeah, yourself? That's, so that's interesting. So obviously, yeah. we're dead confident in what you're going to achieve.
1: Oh, I, I'm one of these people. If I've got an idea and I genuinely know how to do it in my head, then I'll back myself a hundred percent. And I think you know, it, it 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 goes a long way with investors because when when you do open the the, the door for money. Uh, and you're opening the business and saying, look, this is where we come from. This is where we're going to. These are our plans. And they say, well, you know, what's your investment look like today? And um, I remember the early conversations in VC was, well, I put my own money in at this stage before I went to angels. It gives a lot of confidence because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs actually start out just using third party mm-hmm. money. I'm not a wealthy person by any means, but I, I was lucky enough to be a comfortable person. I, I'd run Several businesses and software development agencies, and and I was able to basically root money into Unbuy in the early starts, and I was I was co-funding from other ventures and really putting everything I had into getting OnBuy off the ground. And my initial investment was around half a million pounds into Unbuy, which let's be clear, at the time was pretty much everything that I had. Okay. So it was everything in before we went out and went through the the typical angel investment routes and. And, you know, here we are today, four years on, uh, venture capital backed and just about to open our series B round. So really, really fast scale.
0: That's a very high entry level to a business, half a million pounds. I started my business with a laptop and, and a fax machine. We didn't even have an email when I did it, but it was cheap to start. So you got to be so confident. Do you think that confidence came from your history of kind of being involved in businesses from a very early age?
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, when I opened my first company, I had 80 pounds. I registered an online limited company package at seventy nine ninety nine, leaving me with a penny. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally opened my business and, you know, I, I went for it. And that's all I had. That was my first go at running a, a software development company. I had a plan. I had no staff, no ideas. And I'm, I'm not a software coder by nature. So it was a real big gamble even then. Um, but I knew how to talk to businesses and I knew how to help businesses to make more money. That was what I always did. I was, uh, I was involved from a really young age in going into, um, businesses at 13 years old supermarkets and saying, you know, I'd wander around these little independent supermarkets and I'd look to see if they were still using uh, price stickers, you know, the price guns that they, they use. And, uh, I would look for. Um, supermarkets that were still doing that. And I would I would basically explain to them that you know you, introducing barcode systems would help them to maintain margin because year after year these items are getting restocked, and the 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 shopper system just looks at what the price is on the shelf, they match it to the item when it comes in and they gun the price, they put it on the shelf. And what you'd find is that over five years, these products were just still being sold at the same price, but the buy price had gone up, and therefore these stores experience a margin reduction over five years time and you know for a few hundred pounds of hiring me and we could we could put in place um these systems and, and I'd been that in four or five uh, shops growing up trying to find these little opportunities and then from there that led to uh, web design and all kinds of things so yeah absolutely you know I've done the, I've done that when I launched on but I already had a very clear picture I'd found the gap I would thought about it for a long time I'd I'd, I'd taken the time to really think through this idea. And I think, you know, I knew exactly what to do. I knew it had a purpose. And one of the things in business with all entrepreneurs is sometimes you need to just stop and think, is there a purpose to what I'm doing? Because if you have a purpose, it will work. It will sell itself. You know, this this business will sell itself eventually, at least when you've got the credibility. And that's where we are now. It sells itself. We we were 5,000 retailers in in September, we increased by another 10%. And then October, another 10%. November, another 10%. We're signing up more retailers to OnBuy because the principles of the business is right. We're signing up more businesses than we can even cater to get online. So we've had to actually just slow things down a little bit because you know the 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 volume of products going live is phenomenal. In October, we secured two million new products onto OnBuy. In November, we we said, hey, you know, it's like that we're not going to get a lot of retailers in November because everyone's busy with Q4. And actually, November was yet again our biggest month for retailer acquisition. December's already on track to be our biggest month for retailer acquisition. It's been the same story every month because, again, the principles of the business make sense. They, they resonate with the retailer who sees value in what we do. And if that works, then your purpose is there and the business can fly.
0: And people just want to feel that sense of purpose more, don't they, now than ever, I think. And not just businesses and your supply chain, but then people that work with you as well. I mean, that's what we get out of bed for, isn't it, is that that sense of purpose?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I feel so lucky to have have stumbled upon the idea and principles around OnBuy because I felt that so driven to launch Onbuy as a business because of what the world had to offer in this space. And because I realized that this was such a viable business, because it had an ethical purpose that was able to really motivate retailers to want to work with us. And don't get me wrong, it's not always been an easy business to get off the ground. You imagine day one of opening Onbuy. I mean, it took me two years with a team to develop Onbuy as an initial release candidate product. But the day that we opened the website, which was the 7th of November 2016, we opened the business with nothing to sell. So we're saying, hey, retailers, come and join us. We're going to do all of these fantastic things. We've got these great plans and our ethics are right. You can say what you want, but the retailers are going to look at the business and say, but you've got no customers. (laughs) You've got no traffic. This is not going to work. And this is something called the marketplace conundrum, because or I've titled it the marketplace conundrum because day one that you open it, it's the, it's the worst chicken and egg yeah. situation. And this is why marketplaces are typically retailers before they are marketplaces. Because actually launching a marketplace when you open the doors with nothing to sell is a very, very hard sell. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time. What you find is a bit like a giant hockey stick. For the first two years, the business just runs with little gains. And then eventually, you know, you can, you can shoot upwards. Because as soon as you start winning product, you've got something to sell. And as soon as you prove that your algorithms and the way you manage data and everything's all working, you can you can reach customers and you do create sales. Then you get more retailers because obviously they see their counterpart. I don't know whether it's competitors or businesses they work with all start to make sales. They want to make sales and everything becomes easier. You know, your Alexa score improves and people can see that everything is actually viable the news start to release about growth and everything and things do become easier but I tell you what a what a painful you know business to launch when you think that you're opening the doors day one with nothing to sell and there's nothing you can do about it
0: was that frightening
1: I knew what I was letting myself in (laughs) for. so luckily I, I you know it was it was very much expected I just think that sometimes there's a misconception with business which is people look at where you are now like where we are is growing right now super quick and they think, Wow, it's a really good idea. It was a good idea four years ago. <laughs> it just takes a long time to actually get that wheel moving. Nothing's changed. Yeah. It's just that once you've started that process, it can it it, it can flourish. And um, yeah, don't get me wrong, there is certainly points in the first eighteen months where it, it's it's slow burning and you're thinking, I know it will work, yeah. I know it will work, I'm so positive about it, but you know, starting to get some raised eyebrows from from people thinking, you know, is, is it going to get that traction? And, and and then, you know, you don't doubt yourself. Absolutely never doubted that we would be able to do it, but you do have to just stop and reassess and go, yeah, absolutely. Okay, no, this is working. It's just going to take some time. Mm. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. We when, when we first went to invest in OnBuy with our first angel investor, he brought in a venture capital company. I hope he listens to this. <laughs> the venture capital company came and sat with him who was investing, not because we wanted their money, but because we wanted to just hear what their thought process was around businesses like Homebuy. And the advice at the time was, don't invest in marketplaces. Turn to our angel, do not invest in marketplaces because marketplaces is so difficult to launch. One of the hardest businesses, they take a, a huge amounts of money to be able to, to get to that critical mass where they have the products to be able to sell. Don't do it luckily for us the angel did do it but if we fast forward a few years later to 2020 June this year and that same venture capital company offered to invest in our series A then they actually held their hands up and said you know it is a very difficult business to launch but you guys have actually managed to do it with very very low financial backing which was you know proves a point I think.
0: And it strikes me obviously just going back to the fact that you were 13 years old, and you're telling shopkeepers and, and supermarket owners how to run the business. I'm just amazed that they'd even, they listen to you. So they must've, you must have had something about you that made a seasoned shopkeeper listen to a 13-year-old kid.
1: Yeah, well, I remember my mum saying to me, you know, she I had a very sharp lesson in supply and demand when I was about five years old on a visit to Southport you know (laughs) favoured Manchester holiday space in the summer holidays was Southport. There's no sea. (laughs) Yeah you could walk for 16 days to find some water. My mum used to send me off to do
0: that. (laughs) Not come with me.
1: (laughs) Well I'd collected a load of shells and I'd, I'd taken myself to the roadside you know to try and sell shells and I was like you're trying to sell shells at a beach you know this is but there was something in me, even at that age, to like, because my parents weren't entrepreneurial. Um, you know, both had regular type role jobs, and and and. and uh, but my uncle was. But I was five. I didn't know what entrepreneurial was. Um, but the idea of, of 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 going and getting things, thinking, "Oh, we can sell these. This is really exciting." And then before you know it, by sort of eight years old, you wandering the streets, offering to mow lawns and. Actually, at one point we were selling potpourri. I had a little army of kids in the street that would help me collect rose petals because one of the neighbors has shown us how to make potpourri, and that was it. There's a business right there. But it, it's always been, I've always been that way inclined. And actually, now when I look at my son, I tried to keep business away from him. He's he's only seven years old, but he's already you know doing the same things. We we went away to Weymouth a few weeks ago, and he was grabbing shells to sell, and I was like, my. My mum told me about this stuff. So I'm like, no, listen, here's your lesson in supply and demand.
0: I love that. That's a great life lesson. Don't sell shells at the beach. It's fantastic. It yeah. should be some business. But <laughs> I was the same. We'd added potpourri. I did lattice butties. And then also one summer, there was a massive ladybird infestation. And I thought I'd be able to sell like Tupperware cups full of ladybirds. Funnily, that was my supply and demand because nobody wanted, they could get thousands wherever you wanted them. It was late 70s in a hot summer. But yeah, it's that drive, isn't it? I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur and um, he built an engineering business up in Salford from nothing. And he always used to say to me that there's plenty of room at the top which I didn't get when I was young, but obviously that most people won't do what's required to get there and to stay there so that you don't need to worry about there being enough space for you. And I thought that was a really good piece of advice because if you stick with it, you know, you, you, there is space at the top. I mean, what would you say that one val- the one value for you that really stands out in terms of being successful and being able to build a business?
1: Um, I, I mean, I'm going to give someone else credit here. I, I remember when I was a bit younger and I read, um, you know, Dragon's Den's, uh, and I read his book and there was a comment in it that really stuck with me. And he said, you know, sometimes I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but sometimes you've got to get off the hamster wheel. And I thought about it and I, I saw myself sometimes what happens in business, you live in a hamster wheel, which basically means that, you know, you're, you're in it and because you're in it, you can shoot off in the wrong direction. You can lose track of what the main function and purpose of the business is. Very easy to lose direction. People get carried away. People come up with new ideas. Sounds fantastic. But get off the hamster wheel, whether that's going for a walk, whether it's going on a holiday, people do it all in different ways. Um, some people just go and have a shower and, and think, you know. But get off the hamster wheel and look in and think, is this helping me towards the goal? Because ultimately, you're on an 80. If you're gonna, if you're gonna fly in business, it's an 80/20 rule. You, you need to get 80% of the stuff right. You know, there's there's no time on a fast growth business to get 100%. You can't do that. You'd, you'd still be here fine tuning, not growing, um, and, and make sure you're heading to where you want to head to, and remind yourself of that. It goes to the point where we've even written our core messages down on the wall. Because it's really important, you know, if we, we've got ethical, trustworthy, you know, these kind of things, and you think everything we're doing, does it meet these pillars that, that have put us into business, business in the first place? You know, fairness, we read them, we go, you know, this new policy that we've come up with, this new feature that we're doing, does it meet these, these principles? And if you tick the boxes, then you, you know that everything you're doing is working towards that end goal. And I think getting off the hamster wheel was such a such an important value that I think people need to really think about when they're in business.
0: I completely agree with that. And it's it's in the business or on the business, isn't it? And um that just having that time to step away from it. And actually Although the last nine months for a lot of businesses have been absolutely terrifying. They were for us, I mean, even though we're working 14 hour days, but the days were different so that you really had time to think about why am I doing this? Is this actually am I being a busy fool? Is this the, the, the right type of business for us? And the one thing that kept us focused throughout that was our purpose and our values. People stay with you because you can build back from your values. And I think it's so important for your team and for your your clients. And the other thing, we had uh, Liam Manson, who's founder of a uh, Didsbury Gin. Who I'm sure, when he's spending more time in Manchester, um, you'll meet you'll meet him. I think you both get on very well. He, he set up a gin business that's flying, and there's a lot of gin around. You set something up that Amazon has done years ago, but you've made it ethical. You've changed that business. So, what's your view on not being put off by something that exists already and, and having another crack at it?
1: Uh, I think you know it's a big world. I, I... I mean, I don't really, I didn't launch on by because of something Amazon did or didn't do or anything. like. That. I just saw an opportunity for us to do something alongside. It was never, a you know, you'd be crazy to say, I'm going to launch a business that's going to, you know, take these, these giants down and, and all of that. That's not what it's about. The, the way to look at it is very much how big is the market? How much of the market do you think that you could attract? And maybe some other KPIs like how much is the, the, the market growing? And for us, e-commerce is growing. You know, Amazon said it themselves in a recent um question by the European court, you know, around um the, the stuff that they're being asked about now um to do with competition. And they said, look, wait, why are you picking on us? We're one percent of the um of the e-commerce market. One percent. Now, things like that really resonate with me because it's like, well, yeah, it's true. You know, I could just be another 1%. I don't need to take anyone's business to be a 1%. And 1% just happens to be a ridiculous sum. In the UK, Amazon, for example, 29% of the UK e-commerce market. Great, 71% of the e-commerce market is not using Amazon when they buy something. That means I can take 5 to 10% of the UK market and they can, we can live side by side. I mean, this is not always about you know, destroying businesses or taking market share. I don't, I've never believed in that. You should never launch a business to damage or ill will another company. These companies employ people, Amazon employs people, by employs people. So I think that entrepreneurs that are, are, are building businesses just need to make sure that their product is right and that they know that there's a reason why people would choose their product. There has to be something about your product. You have to be different. You can't just be the same. So I think as long as you've got a difference as a differentiator and there's some USPs in what you're doing, then go for it. You know, you, there's there's nothing stopping you from launching a viable alternative product to market. And there's nothing stopping you in some markets becoming number one in that market still. You know, I am I, a, a key believer in disruption. Um things can always be improved. We this is a game for for entrepreneurs, isn't it? You know, you think, I've got this idea, it's working. How can we be more disruptive? How can we make a difference through disruption? And, uh, you know, we, we we enjoy every day at OnBuy at the moment because, you know, we're able to really sell that message home that we're here for the right reasons. When, once that resonates, and you can market that. You know, we've just done a TV campaign um, and it's been really exciting to do that and put on by all over, Nationwide ITV, and we've just done a huge billboard campaign. Uh, if you go out right now in Manchester and look at the Axis building, you'll see Envoys banners, and and Manchester Hub, we've got a big banner, and all across Birmingham, we've got banners, and pretty much every motorway services in the UK, we've got banners. I mean, you know, people now see us everywhere, and I think this is really cool because from from our side, from from building a disruptive brand, you know, what's more disruptive than sort of being everywhere and poking at everyone and saying hey look we are here and we, you can't you know we we're, we're, we're getting bigger and and you can't just uh, forget about us <laughs> we're going nowhere I love that I love disruption in, in, in the in the finest degree like that where you know you can just all of a sudden be uh, in people's eyes you know a nothing to a something in in what to them feels like minutes to use taken years to to scale so great fun
0: and that thrill of seeing your name up on those billboards I mean that knows that you've you you're still kind of engaged and they're excited about it I mean there's nothing better is it we, we've had a billboard campaign for United City about getting people back into the city centre and having a better deal for Manchester and to see that campaign up on the Axis Tower as well actually um yeah I mean it's a, it's a real thrill
1: for us it's uh, yeah it's the start of a journey and it's so exciting
0: So just talking about values, we obviously our business changed a couple of years ago by we put our values into place and we live and breathe those. and you know we we can hold ourselves accountable, but we also accept that we're never going to get it perfect, but it's there to make sure we can pull ourselves back and align with them. When I've re- researched on by, I've picked up commitment to transparency, integrity, sustainability, trustworthiness, loyalty, which is the antithesis of some of the competitors that you you operate alongside. What impact does it have on your team knowing that that's what you stand for?
1: I think it's really important, you know, quite a lot of our team, particularly our new team who have joined us literally in a matter of six months and some much, much greener, they understand we're here with a really strong purpose. I think that that's key. I mentioned purpose earlier, but when you've got a purpose that actually is ethical and transparent and adding these really important messages, I mean, look at the world and how much it's changed just over 30 years and how you know companies of the 90s which a lot of these big marketplaces are are so old hat compared to what the thinking now you know if you launched a company in the 90s think about things like gender equality think about like even just rights of people and different ethnic groups. Just everything was just so different. The way data was used and harvested is just so different. And in 2020, where we're super diverse and there's equality in everything that we do, the very values of the business are just so different. They're born in a different generation. And I think our team really uh, value. What we do and why we do it, and if you've got a team that really feels those values and believes in the same principles, then they're your advocates. They're going to really want this business to work because you're doing it for the right reasons. Yes, it's commercial, but you know what is commercial? We employ lots of people. We plan to employ lots of people. We're UK based. We pay tax in the UK. You know, so there's a different approach here. The UK has always in the tech space had a pretty hard time. You You could name on one hand the tech companies that have really done well in the UK but in the US there's so many and it's because you know that they were born in a different era and they were supported by the government and their country and I think from our perspective now we've really done something that these messages don't just resonate with our team but they're actually starting to really play a role with our sellers they're playing a role with our buyers people understand why we're here and I think it, that's going to be one of our key motivators for the, past, yeah, for the, for the future, a few years ahead. And it's very exciting.
0: At Roland Dransfield, we obviously recognise that you can't go on a journey on your own and that it's really important to take the team with you and that we've all got an army of amazing people at our sides to help us achieve that success. Who would you say has been there for you on your journey?
1: Drop me on the spot now. No, I mean, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I do have some really close friends and my partner's always been there to support me as well. Um, and my partner comes from a, a a corporate world, so she's in a um a, a totally different space to where Um was when we started starting now, but it's really good to hear the 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 differences between small and corporate and 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 make sure that your business is scaling that way so that's been really valuable um and I have friends who are in businesses, but you know the the advice that you get from friends starts to diminish when your company becomes much larger than theirs and, and you start to enter new world problems that they've not had to deal with before. So it does once again become, you know, considerably uh, isolating. You end up siloed. But I think, you know, what then becomes really useful is as your business gets over a certain size and you get the backing from venture capital, for example, you start to be able to at least get the professional advice. And as your business is able to raise money, you can hire the professional advice too. So things then become a bit easier again. So, you know, it, it, it is a, an interesting world the world of an entrepreneur and I, and I think i think there's sometimes a big misconception you know people see business owners or entrepreneurs and the general consensus, consensus is they've done really well and they've got nice things they go got nice holidays and they got nice cars and they got a nice house and my goodness i think so many people probably don't understand what many of those entrepreneurs have gone through to actually do it to be able to do this business and how, and give those jobs and and all of the things that come with it you know I have um, a, a total understanding and appreciation for anyone who's been able to grow a business from the ground because I've worked 20 hour days I've have in the past you know and consecutively at least 14 hour days every day since I was about 14 um yeah and it and it and it is it's taxing and in the early life of growing a business, you know, there's, there's no money, you, you you do this with no money, and there was no holidays, and there's no anything. And in fact, if you're a true entrepreneur that's starting your own business, there's no finance or mortgages or loans either, because they look at you and they go, no, you know, you, you, you're not employed. So you end up in the toughest position. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's not money that people do this for. You think it is when you first start ideas, but actually it's not. You know, you get to a point where we, me, for example, I, I've got plans to give so much back, and we're already doing so much charity work because what you're going to do with money? I mean, some people hoard it, and some people are extremely wealthy, and then you know others others find a purpose, again, a reason for actually wanting that money. And I think I fit in that bracket. You know, I have big plans to to help communities and and really give give back as much as they can.
0: Cass, let's talk about legacy. Um, it's never stopped being important for Mancunians to leave one. I've worked here for thirty years, and one of the things that never wavers is the commitment of monks to put in more than they take out. So what would you like yours to be?
1: Well, I've got a plan. I mean, I think anyone launching a business as, as as wide scale as OnBuy, you need to enter them, you know, enter the market with a with a strong plan. And um, I, I already created a phased approach to how uh, I want to do my bit and create. I guess you know what you call a legacy. To me, it's just do as much good as possible while you're in a position to be able to do it. And and the phased approach is, you know, while OnBuy is growing and we're we're able to create so much revenue and drive investment, is use that to you know do as much as we can charitably as we grow we're already funding uh, Teddy Rocks Music Festival down south where uh, the festival's solely dedicated to uh, raising money for children with cancer and it's a really big event that's growing with your camping and everything and hopefully that'll be back on track in 2021. Um, we, we already do a lot with you know children that need support around Christmas in terms of you know uh, lacking Christmas presents and things like that and we already dedicate um loads of uh loads of our sellers stock to that which we pay for to deliver you know presents and parcels but i think that's just the beginning i mean the other thing that on is looking to do right now is uh, really invest in sustainability i mean we already choose our partners really carefully around sustainability you know for example we partner with uk fast in manchester and we drive a carbon neutral hosting solution for on which is quite unique and we're moving forward now to um uh, forestation, so we're looking at you know planting trees and driving more around that. So you know it, there's a there's a big message there in everything that we do that we try to to get that balance right. You know the the corporate greed should not take over um, like it does in so many big companies, and instead you should you know you need to remember the community and and your roots. I think it's very important. And then the second phase of this journey becomes a, more of a personal one than a business one, in the fact that I remember when I was younger. And starting businesses in Manchester and I, I, I couldn't quite figure out what my plan should be and I didn't have any uh, parents or whatever in in uh, my know, questions business answered and, 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 and I, I found it incredibly build, hard to get some of my answers uh, or some of my questions answered and, and, and try and build on my experience from a young age without that you know family backing and it makes me wonder how many you know young entrepreneurs Uh, have ideas or or have drive but can't quite put it in the right places they don't know what to do with it and um, I think getting involved in in seed business startup uh, venture backing you know is, is a big focus of mine I've spent my whole career jumping into businesses and finding how to make them more efficient and drive success in in all sizes of business and I think to to take all of this experience and work with young entrepreneurs to take their ideas or help them even realize what their ideas are sometimes there's so much drive and they can't pin things down uh, like I was so driven but didn't quite have my hands on exactly what it was that I was supposed to do Uh, and I I think if I'd have got that support from being about 15 16 17 I could have been five six seven years faster to the game than I than I am now because there's a few years of uh, wasted while you're still trying to figure out how to even get into business and I remember the first time I registered a limited company and I didn't really know what VAT was and I didn't have anyone to ask because I, I couldn't even afford an accountant at that time. So, you know, there's, there's so much that you learn on the way that could have been shortcut. And I think I'd love to give back and I'd love to, I'd love to back people, start their own journeys. Um, and I think that would bring me quite a lot of excitement as well.
0: That's great. And planting trees is one of Roland Ransfield's most important values. So that really kind of resonates. quick fire Manchester round what do you miss most about Manchester when you're not here
1: well the answer now would be different to the answer a few months back but Mm. I'd say typically it's restaurants and choice of where you're going out you know coming back to pool is really not that much choice in comparison to Manchester where you can you can actually spend a year going around different places on a different you know every night out every weekend you can choose somewhere completely different and we do you know whether it's lim or hail or going into altering him or then bouncing into the you know city and 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 trying you know so many different culinary uh, experiences in manchester whether it's you know japanese or whatever and 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 steak houses and italians there's so much to choose from and i think it's just it's just because it's such a big vibrant multicultural city with so much choice and um, that choice is great
0: city or united
1: Oh, I hate sport because it, devi- <laughs> it divides people. Uh, <laughs> no comment. <okay. laughs> no, no, I'm joking. When I grew up, I was a red. My bedroom was red. I had United wallpaper. I had United bedsheets had United pillows. <laughs> United everything when I was young. Um, so I have to
0: claim red. <laughs> what would you order at the chippy?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, Ah, oh, you know my favourite thing from the chippy you can't get anywhere else is a pea fritter, pea fritter farm. That's what I used to get on the way to school, and I, honestly, a A, what? Pe- a pea fritter farm? You've not done this before.
0: Do you know what? No, and I've been going to chippies for a long time. I live next to a chippy in Salford for for eleven years, and they definitely didn't do them there.
1: Oh my goodness, Kong's chippy in uh, in Flixton was the was the place. To get a pea fritter bar on the way to uh, on lunch from school, sneaking out of school just to go there, um, to get your pea fritter and go back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really cosmopolitan a pea fritter, to be fair. Is it still open that chippy? I'm going. Yeah, it
1: is. It is. You should you should go and check it out. Yeah.
0: Straight after this podcast, I'm there. I tell you. And what's the best thing to come out of Manchester?
1: Oh, you know I really boring answer. I mean, from my perspective at the moment, the best thing to come out of Manchester is such a huge tech, um, you know, world that's that was not there when we were younger and is totally there now, whether it's, you know, you, you, your boo-hoos and your hook groups. um I just feel that Manchester is absolutely flown in the tech space and I think that's why we're so driven to get in it and be part of it because that's something I never expected when we were young. All the big tech companies were either the US or they were London it was never Manchester and I I love the fact that that's been you know really in in recent times changed so quickly Um, and I do believe that Manchester is going to be you know on the global stage in terms of technical you know technological advances in e-commerce and um, yeah we really want to be part of that it's really exciting.
0: So true and I think in terms of building back a city now we've got that as an asset that we just never had before when we had to kind of come out of crises and and, and economic crises where we've, we've got that in spades now haven't we so it puts us in a really strong position.
1: Absolutely I, I just think there's nothing like it. Mm.
0: And lastly lots of people over the past year have faced untold challenges in relation to the, the, the pandemic and lots of people have lost their jobs what words of encouragement do you have for anybody listening that may have a burning idea and perhaps in the past has just not had the confidence to go ahead and do it? You know, what would you say to those people who are considering it, possibly a new career now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always dealt with people in my whole career that have ideas that are so scared to to get off the ground and give them a, a push, particularly when they've got you know uh, financial commitments and family and and all of those kind of things. But the truth is for for those who have done it, once you have taken the quote plunge um, and, and you've taken the, the, the you know the risk to just go and do what you're either burning to do or what you're trained to do, but you've always done it for someone else. Once you've started, you will never, ever go back to employment. There's so much freedom in terms of being able to do things your way, the right way, the way that you, while you're in work and you're thinking, oh, if this was mine, I wouldn't do it this way because actually... Know, there's a better way of doing this or I wouldn't take on these jobs because they're not profitable to me um or if you've got a burning idea and you think this is a great idea you know there's a few things you can do there's 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 certainly lots of venture finance out there for businesses at the moment and I think I didn't realize this when I started my business I went through a really hard growth period from being about 22 years old to being about 30 years old where I hadn't discovered the world of venture capital It changes everything. If you've got a really good burning idea that you want to get on with, there's also a large number of people that would back you, ride with you, give you the advice, shape it. And that can change everything for you because it means you could start your idea not being completely unpaid, but actually being able to cover your living expenses, cover a basic salary um, and get your business off the ground. Yes, you'll lose a little something for it you know they'll want a percentage for that investment but ultimately that gives you the ability to do it that you wouldn't have had if you didn't do it and as i've always said you know 100% of nothing or you know 10% of something is 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 a really important statement that i was taught as a really young age you know it's important to not look at complete ownership and control and actually take the view that you can do better things when you start to look at the world a bit differently so go and get that backing, go and go and speak to angels and venture capital and, um, you know, reach out to me. I, we, we're already back in some early stage business ideas. Um, and, and if it adds any value or connects to on, buy or e-commerce in any way, even better, because, you know, we're really looking for the brains and the drive in people that can bring new ideas to the table.
0: Mm, that's fantastic. Cass. And how can people get in touch with you, uh, anyone who's listening to this, if they did want some advice?
1: I'm really easy to get in touch with. Just go on LinkedIn and type Cass Payton. I'm there. I'm a serial LinkedIn user.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining me on We Built This City. And there is so much in this today for young people and anyone who's really thinking about a new future for themselves, I think. And the fact that they could drop you a message and get some advice is absolutely fantastic. And without doubt, you know, as a city region, it's amazing that you're choosing to come and set up on Buy's next part of your journey here. And I think there are so many fantastic people with amazing skills and work ethic and grit and the talent that you're looking for that you'll be sport for choice. So thanks for joining me and I look forward to following the on by uh, growth and success now you're coming to Manchester. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you, Cass. Cass Payton helped build this city by building a British ethical global business by getting off the hamster wheel by bringing the fastest growing marketplace in the world to his home city of Manchester, and by learning that the place to sell seashells is not at Southport Beach. We Built This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Union. If you want to find more out about Roland Jansill PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years, 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time.